This week's episode is actually a video. If you prefer to listen to the audio-only version, you can just keep listening to this right here and now. But if you want to watch the video, look in the show notes for a link or go to discomfortable.net. Getting Discomfortable with Mean Girls, Part 2. Slut Shaming. Um, I'm totally lost. Can you help me? But I wasn't lost. Yeah. I knew exactly what Ms. Norbury was talking about. It's a factorial, so you multiply each one by N. Wrong. Is that the summation? Yeah, they're the same thing. Wrong. He was so wrong. Thanks. I, uh, I get it now. <laughs> this is just a nice example of the things that we do to fit in or to connect. We're having a Halloween party at my friend Chris's tonight. You want to come? Okay. That flyer admits one person only, so don't bring some other guy with you. In the regular world, Halloween is when children dress up in costumes and beg for candy. In girl world, Halloween is the one night a year when a girl can dress like a total slut and no other girls can say anything about it. The hardcore girls just wear lingerie and some form of animal ears. Doesn't she look great, honey? One of the ways that we shame women the most is around their sexuality. Words like slut or whore are all designators of the shame that a woman is supposed to feel when she is overtly sexual in any way. But at the same time, it feels great to be seen, to be desired, to be attractive. So young women are naturally caught in this tension between trying to explore their sexuality, to celebrate it, and trying to avoid the shame of being labeled a slut. And even within this film, you can see the societal shaming happening. The film itself seems to be saying that the girls are dressing slutty. It fits right into Western culture to be blaming women for having any sexuality at all. Like as if their sexuality is this special, precious prize that needs to be hidden from everyone and only given to their husband at the right time. (sighs) What are you? I'm a mouse. In the same way that Regina creates all of these rules to control her plastic minions, society creates all of these rules to control its citizens. By connecting moral opinions to that unpleasant guttural feeling of shame, you can really profoundly control how people act. And it isn't surprising that the rules a society creates are often designed to keep the powerful in power, to keep the Reginas in control. Unfortunately, no one told me about the slut rule, so I showed up like this. you dress so scary? It's Halloween. But what's fascinating is that on Halloween, the rules suddenly change. Suddenly, it's okay to dress, quote-unquote, slutty. And it goes to show how arbitrary shame really is. 
Because Katie doesn't know that she's supposed to dress slutty at Halloween, but not any other day of the year, now once again she is hit with a hilarious degree of embarrassment and shame. And it goes to show that shame is not objectively real. The rules of shame are completely context-dependent, and they are always shifting, just like culture. And they are always relative to who you are around and who you are trying to impress or connect with or belong with. It goes to show how when you get controlled by shame, you are giving all of your power away. You can't just follow one set of morals. You have to look around constantly and say, well, how do I fit in with this person? How do I fit in with that person? How do I fit in now? Hey. Oh, no. Didn't anybody tell you? You were supposed to wear a costume. Shut up. I need to talk to you. You know that girl, Katie? Yeah, she's cool. I invited her tonight. Well, be careful because she has a huge crush on you. Really? How do you know? Because she told me. She tells everybody. It's kind of cute, actually. She's like a little girl. She like writes all over her notebook, Mrs. Aaron Samuels. And she made this t-shirt that says, I heart Aaron, and she wears it under all her clothes. Oh, come on. <laughs> well, who can blame her? I mean, you're gorgeous. And okay, look, I'm not saying she's a stalker, but she saved this Kleenex you used, and she said she's gonna do some kind of African voodoo with it to make you like her. What? This was it. Regina said she would talk to Aaron for me, and now she was. I know she's kind of socially retarded and weird, but she's my friend, so just promise me you won't make fun of her. Of course I'm not gonna make fun of her. How could Janice hate Regina? She was such a good... <gasps> Slut! First of all, it's not surprising that the go-to insult here, once again, is slut. It is one of the most shaming terms that you can hurl at a woman. What are you doing? You broke up with me. That's crazy. Why would I break up with you? You're so hot. While many people might just dismiss Regina as a sociopath or a capital N narcissist or just toxic or evil, I actually do not think any of those things are true. Well, she's definitely a narcissist, but I don't think she has a narcissistic personality disorder. I think we are much too quick to assume in our society that someone who behaves in this kind of way has some kind of big personality disorder, when in fact very few people statistically actually have those big notorious personality disorders. If every guy you date turns out to be toxic or bipolar or a sociopath, that's just incredibly unlikely. The truth is, I think all of these behaviors can actually be explained by shame. I think that Regina actually has humanity to her, but because she believes that all of her value is wrapped up in her position on this hierarchy, and because shame is literally connected to a feeling of life or death, it feels of the utmost importance that she defend her position on this fictional hierarchy. It's just that Regina's view of the world is so skewed that she has to act in these ways that we would call bitchy. 
Shame brings out the inner bitch in us because it makes us think that things that aren't that necessary are actually of life or death importance. It is of life or death importance to Regina's subconscious that she stay above Katie on the social hierarchy or she will lose all of her value, her worth as a human, and her ability to be loved. So Regina can be really nice at one moment, really connective, really human. But if you cross an invisible barrier that suddenly threatens her position or makes her feel shame, then she will lash out at you and she will try to cut you down. And that may feel bipolar. It may feel sociopathic. It may feel toxic and evil. But actually, it makes complete sense when you understand her worldview as shaped by shame. Why is Regina George like this? Well, first of all, it's in the culture. But more than that, I'm sure that it comes from her family. The culture in her family is probably completely status-driven. They're very wealthy. We know that the mother is obsessed with youth, living vicariously through her daughter. It's clear that no one has ever said no to any of Regina's demands. So she is the little princess who runs the show in their status-driven life. And the truth is, she just doesn't know any better. She doesn't know that there are better strategies. In fact, she doesn't even know that there are other strategies. She doesn't know what she doesn't know because she is so brainwashed and conditioned by culture and shame. I had never felt this feeling before. I could hear my heartbeat in my ears. Shame. My stomach felt like it was going to fall out my butt. Shame. I had this lump in my throat like after you dry swallow a big pill. Shame. I hated Regina. I hated her. That is all shame. Katie is literally in shame at this very moment. Technically, what she is actually feeling is her threat response. That is the ancient reaction in our brain that we share with other animals, even lizards. And what it usually feels like is our heart beating out of control, our face flushes, our eyes water, and that horrible feeling in her gut, like her stomach is going to fall out of her butt. That is shame. That is the horrible, uncomfortable, excruciating unpleasantness of shame, completely connected to the disrespect she just experienced. She just completely got humiliated in front of everyone, or so it felt. So her body is reacting as if her very life is in danger. So when you're in your threat response, when you feel that crazy heart rate, that flushing, that, that eye-watering, if you look around and say, wait, is my life actually literally in danger? Am I in danger of dying in this moment? If the answer is no, you know right away that your threat response was triggered by shame. And that threat response wants you to act in order to avoid that shame. And there are a bunch of classic patterns. Pretending like nothing was wrong turned out to be surprisingly easy. And Regina wanted me to tell you that she was trying to hook you up with Aaron, but he was just interested in getting her back. And that's not Regina's fault. No, I know. Okay, so you're not mad at Regina? God, no. Oh, okay, good. When Katie first fell into shame at the party, she immediately went into her flight reflex and fled the scene. However, instead of staying away from Regina and never hanging out with the plastics again, she changed her strategy to one of denial and rebellion. These two often go together. Denial is when we pretend like we're not feeling shame at all. It's usually so deep that we actually don't admit even to ourselves that we are feeling shame. We don't want anyone to know that they got under our skin. It feels vulnerable. It feels powerless. And once again, if we admit that we were feeling shame, 
game, it seems to be proving to everyone that we really are different, bad, and alone. So one of the most common reactions to shame is to convince everyone, including ourselves, that we aren't feeling shame at all. But of course, it's deeply inauthentic, and it breeds disconnection and resentment. Why do you wear your hair like that? Your hair looks so sexy pushed back. Katie, will you please tell him his hair looks sexy pushed back? Regina was dangling Aaron in front of me on purpose. I knew how this would be settled in the animal world. That's not just how it would be solved in the animal world. That is exactly how it would be solved in the human world. When shame pushes us into our threat response, one of the most common reactions is our attack reflex. But our attack reflex isn't always physical. We are more savvy than that. In fact, most of us have been socialized to feel so much shame around violence that instead of attacking someone physically, we shift our attack reflex into the shame back, which is to take the shame that someone made us feel or that we perceive them as having made us feel and we push it back onto them. And that is exactly the strategy that Katie chooses in this case. So she is no different than an animal. She's just doing it in a much savvier human way. But this was girl world. Your hair looks sexy pushed back. And in girl world, all the fighting had to be sneaky. Her plan is to take revenge against Regina and basically shame her back and topple her position at the top of the hierarchy. And what I'd like to point out is that when you feel shame, your threat response actually shuts down your prefrontal cortex, which is the logical, rational centers of the human brain. It's the part of the brain that actually makes us elevated, quote unquote, above other animals. But when we go into our threat response, when we allow it to control us, it shuts the logical part of our brain off in order to conserve energy and create swift action. So obviously, Katie has some use of her prefrontal cortex here because she's concocting this shame back scheme, but she is allowing her threat response to control her such that she is no longer thinking rationally. She's no longer thinking logically. She's lost her sense of humanity and compassion. When you allow your threat response to control your reaction to shame, you are inevitably going to be outside of your integrity and outside of your values. So this is the moment in the film Mean Girls, where Katie loses her way. This is the moment, in fact, where she finally buys into the hierarchy. In order to shame Regina back, she has to play by the rules of the hierarchy in order to quote-unquote win. So it is, in fact, a deeply shaming experience that pushes this character into action, that creates the conflict and drama of this whole movie. It is shame driving the show. From this point out, the film becomes a shame battle. But it's not so easy to shame Regina George. And this proves how arbitrary shame is once again. Everyone buys into this fictional hierarchy of human value, and therefore they have to emulate anything Regina does. The rules can constantly shift in Regina's favor as long as everyone is buying into this power structure, as long as shame is telling them that they have to conform with the quote-unquote cool kids. Why are you talking to Janice Ian? I don't know. I mean, she's so weird. She just, you know, came up to me and started talking to me about crack. <laughs> she's so pathetic. Let me tell you something about Janice Ian. We were best friends in middle school. 
I know, right? It's so embarrassing. I don't even, whatever. So then eighth grade, I started going out with my first boyfriend, Kyle, who was totally gorgeous, but then he moved to Indiana. And Janice was like weirdly jealous of him. Like if I would blow her off to hang out with Kyle, she'd be like, why didn't you call me back? And I'd be like, why are you so obsessed with me? So then for my birthday party, which was an all girls pool party, I was like, Janice, I can't invite you because I think you're a lesbian. I mean, I couldn't have a lesbian at my party. There could be girls there in their bathing suits. I mean, right, she was a lesbian. So then her mom called my mom and started yelling at her. It was so retarded. And then she dropped out of school because no one would talk to her. When she came back in the fall for high school, all of her hair was cut off and she was totally weird. And now I guess she's on crack. And now we get to the backstory, the story behind the mean girl triangle at the heart of the film between Regina, Janice, and Katie, who kind of gets stuck in the middle. We'll never know exactly what happened. For example, I assume that the story of Janice being a lesbian isn't the real reason that Regina kicked her out of the group. That was, in fact, the strategy that she used to shame and destroy her. There's almost certainly another story there. Maybe it has something to do with Kyle, Regina's first boyfriend, who was gorgeous but moved to Indiana. Or maybe it was because Janice was starting to become too popular, sort of like Katie. Or maybe Janice was never cool enough, and as they got into high school, Regina had to get rid of her. We'll never know, but this is a heartbreaking story of using shame to destroy someone and end a relationship. The weird thing about hanging out with Regina was that I could hate her, and at the same time, I still wanted her to like me. Okay. You have really good eyebrows. Thanks. Move. Same with Gretchen. The meaner Regina was to her, the more Gretchen tried to win Regina back. She knew it was better to be in the plastics, hating life, than to not be in at all. Because Regina's not evil. When she gives you a compliment, it feels amazing, even if you're not entirely sure if she means it. She's one of those beautiful, charismatic people that is a joy to be around when she feels like treating you nicely. And so you get torn because she offers you these moments of connection, but then she also offers you this feeling of status, but then she can also be so cruel. And I think all of that can be attributed to the way that shame makes you kind of a dual personality. Because being with the plastics was like being famous. People looked at you all the time, and everybody just knew stuff about you. That new girl moved here from Africa. I saw Katie Heron wearing army pants and flip-flops, so I bought army pants and flip-flops. That Katie girl is hot. She might even be hotter than Regina George. Santa's helpers doing Jingle Bell Rock. this scene because not only is it one of the best set pieces of the entire film, but I think it is also the moment that Katie finally overtakes Regina as the queen bee. 
It's the moment where she literally saves them from embarrassment with her leadership and talent, and she also steals the show. And Regina knows it. But it's more than that. It represents one of those moments when a crowd of people comes together and has a shared spontaneous experience. And it is one of the best feelings that we can have as a social animal. It really feels like we're all in it together. And it's kind of a blend of belonging on steroids as well as awe. And I think when you put those two things together, what you essentially create is spirituality, that transcendent feeling of being part of something larger than yourself, something good, something joyful, like going to a concert with 5,000 people all singing along to your favorite song, or, you know, going dancing in a large group, or to some degree going to a club, or going to a movie on opening night where everybody's laughing and cheering and crying at once, or going to church, you know, literal spirituality. And it's been shown that people who actually go to concerts regularly live longer. And I think it's because this belonging on steroids is just such a healthy, wonderful human experience. To be continued next week in part three.